right, you can be seated for a few moments. Can I get a little bit more? I'm having a hard time hearing myself. Thank you. It is so great to see all of you. You survived the late night last night, right? Amen. Amen. Wow, what a great time it was. Chris, we're still praying for you and your family. We will continue. We love you, buddy. And uh, we're there for the whole family. We want to let you know that. Well, I guess it's time for the message. Sometimes you could almost just leave church, you know what I mean, and be like, We've, God's visited us, you know what I mean? But Scripture is extremely important. It's the most important, in my opinion. But um, so I'm struggling, okay, and I'm just, I'm doing a message or a series now for, for this week and next week. And you might just walk away from here going, really? All right? I'm being honest. You know, one of the harder parts of being a minister or a pastor or bringing the word, it's always fun to give a message that is encouraging and a message that is joyful and it just gives you the goosebumps and it makes you feel great and positive. How many of you are parents? Okay. You know, sometimes as a parent, it's wonderful to love on your kids and to encourage them. Sometimes, though, as a parent, you have a difficult message that you have to give. And sometimes it's in those difficult times is where we truly grow. Let me ask you that what we're going to get into is my title of the sermon series is When God Doesn't Make Sense. All right, when God doesn't make sense. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would say at some point that you have prayed and it didn't seem like God was listening? You were waiting and waiting or it seemed like God was a little maybe um, uncooperative. Right? How many of you would say it seems like, you know, you, God is just unattentive at times? You know, you're, you're, you're praying to God, you're, you're looking for an answer, and it's kind of like you're praying to that wall. Nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, seems to be happening. Well, a lot of people would say that that's true. And think about this for a second. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. But have you ever looked at your friends, and they're being blessed in the moment? It seems like... They've come across the most perfect job, okay? I mean, they're in the greatest relationship with their spouse. kind of makes you sick. <laughs> they have no financial difficulties, apparently. And they're not truly, really, maybe, possibly not even serving God the way they should. And you get and you look at yourself and you go, but God, I'm doing my best. And it seems like everything I touch is failing. Have we been there? Yes. Where is God when life doesn't make sense? There's some questions that come to mind. What do we do when God seems inattentive? Do we just throw up our hands? Do we just give up? Do we just move on? Do we just say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've had it. I'm tired. What do we do when we pray and God seems silent? 
told you, this isn't one that's like right down my wheelhouse, okay? But I, I have to do it. My key thought for today is this. Just because God is silent, it doesn't mean that God is absent. All right, I want to I say that one more time. You might want to write that down. All right, that's a gold nugget for you. Just because God is silent doesn't mean God is absent. Just because you may not hear him does not mean he's not listening. Just because you don't feel his presence does not mean he's not there. Just because you feel like he's ignoring you does not mean that he's unattentive. Now, in fact, what I'm going to do here for a moment is we're going to get right into Scripture. So I'm going to give you a head start. Turn to Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to be starting with verse 17. So to illustrate what I'm talking about, we're going to deal with one of the more challenging stories in the Bible. You don't really hear a lot about it, um, but it, it, it's, it's a little bit difficult. And to be honest, I just don't like the way it ended. Okay, I don't like the way it ended. And I don't think you did either or will. But just to sum it up real quick. So we have this guy, King Herod. King Herod Antipas, he was married. All right? And... He started to be interested in his brother's wife. That's a problem. That's a problem, right? We all know that's a problem. I mean, that's, that's kind of weird, too. All right? Started flirting, you know, different things. But so here's what Herod did. He divorces his wife, and he marries his brother's wife. Scandal. Am I right? Scandal. I mean, that's, that's like you all would probably sit down and watch it on TV. You know what I mean? Think about that. I mean, that's, that's, that's scandalous. I mean, but check this out. Her name is, I hope she looks way better than what her name sounds. Her name is Herodias. Really? Who names her daughter Herodias? It just sounds disgusting. It just sounds like she's, just, we're not, I'm going to leave it alone. So, <laughs> imagine if that happened today, what we would be saying even amongst our church pews about someone. Think about that. Facebook. <laughs> Think about that. Ooh, that's even worse. Herodias, the wife, now of Herod, she did not like John the Baptist. And this is why. Because John the Baptist would get right up into him and say, you're wrong. This is wrong. You don't need to do this. You can't do this. Stop it. And before, no, it just can't happen. And so Herodias did not like John the Baptist. She actually believed, or actually Herod believed, John was a godly guy. You know, he didn't agree with her, so to, so to say. He actually believed that, that John was a godly guy. And you guys know the story. She wanted him dead. All right. Let's get right into the scripture. Mark 6, verses 17 through 20. Here we go. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound. And he put him in prison. And he did this because of Herodias. Who is this? Remember, this is the wife that he married. This was his sister-in-law. Things are weird. 
Strange. I look at my sister, I'm like, nah, it's family. You can't be doing that. You know, it's disgusting. All right. It goes on to say, he did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Again, we understand that's a scandal. So let's go on to the next verse. John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. In other words, don't do this. It's wrong. It's wrong. John is standing for truth here. Verse 19. So Herodias, I just can't get over that name. You know what I mean? Herodias, you're going to remember that in your dreams tonight, all right? Herod, you'll be here when you go to bed. Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. So she wanted him dead. So understand something here. You don't mess with the woman, right? You just don't mess with the woman. And I'm not going any further than that, gentlemen. Because she's out for blood. She's not happy. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. All right, so what we've got here, again, is Herodias wants to kill John the Baptist. Herodias is like, look, well, I don't like him. I don't like the message he's given. He's killing our romance vibe, all right? Things are getting rocky now because this guy is getting in between us. I don't like it. She sees that Herod has got a little bit of a, um, he, 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 I don't know how to say this. I guess he kind of likes the guy a little bit, you know what I mean? Because he doesn't want to do anything to him, but he's also got this wife. We'll leave that alone. So John the Baptist, he did nothing wrong other than point people to Jesus. We understand he's the forerunner of Christ, right? His calling was to prepare the way for the Lord. Whenever anyone said, we want to follow you, speaking of, we want to follow you, John, he would be like, no, no, you don't follow me, but you follow Jesus. He said, I'm unworthy to even untie the sandals of Jesus. He baptized people in the Jordan. He even, we understand that he even baptized Jesus in the Jordan. He stood up for truth and was in prison for doing what was right for standing up for Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. If I'm John the Baptist, all right, and I'm standing up for Jesus, and Jesus is doing miracles, what do I think that Jesus would be doing for me? A miracle. That's what I would think. I mean, if, if Jesus is out there doing miracles, and I'm John the Baptist, and I'm in a tough situation, and, and I, I've been the forerunner, I've been you know, preaching your love, his love and preaching that he's going to do great and powerful things and giving the message of hope and strength and salvation and all this stuff. I've been doing my job. And I'm in a jam. What do I expect Jesus to do in that moment? But nothing less than a miracle. Well, here's what gets difficult. When John was in prison... Jesus didn't come in that manner. He didn't come nine feet tall. He didn't come with a sword in his hand. He didn't break John out. No. 
So, my thing is this. is How many of you think that maybe John's faith in this moment wavered? I mean, if, if I were John personally in this moment, and I was doing all this works for Jesus, and God anointed me to do all of these things, and I was in his situation, I would think that through prayer that Jesus would come in that manner. But that's not what happened. You see, Jesus didn't come in that manner. And in my mind, I would probably become a little unwavered in my faith. I'd be like, really? I mean, who is this guy? Why, why isn't he coming to help me? You know, some people might, maybe you're better than me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you were in that moment, you would be like, oh, yeah, we got this, man. But after time, I think we would begin to doubt. And you know what's happened is that that, that has actually happened in our life. You know, we go through difficulties and struggles and trials and problems. And maybe you're not in a prison, so to speak, as what John is in in this moment. But you can relate to being in a prison in your mind or in your spirit, in your marriage, in your job, within relationships with friends, just in life, maybe, where things weren't going as planned, where things weren't unfolding as you would hoped for or liked. And, and realistically, you have spent time in prayer about it. You have asked God, God, where are you? God, I need your help. God, I need you to be like that nine-foot-tall superhero who's going to come in and you're going to bust down the walls and you're going to bring me out of this situation and I'm going to see you high and lifted up and I'm going to come out on the cloud and people will be like, wow, look what God has done. But sometimes that doesn't happen. In fact, in this moment, John did begin to waver. We understand that, but we have to go to a different gospel in Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. This is what the scripture says. When John was in prison and he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples. And I want to stop right there for a second. So we understand. We, we know John's in prison. And some of the disciples are coming to visit him. Jesus isn't coming. But he sent his disciples to come and say, hey, this is what he's doing. He's, man, he's, he's doing all these great things, John, and, and we're really appreciative of everything that you've done. But, but you've got to understand what Jesus has done. I mean, he's, he's healing people. He's, he's, he's turning water into wine at this point. He's doing miraculous things, John. It's wonderful. Let's go on to the next verse. So John sent the disciples back to ask him this and says, wait a minute now. This is where you, under, you see where John, his faith is unwavering. He's starting to second guess who Jesus is. He says, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? See, sometimes we look at that verse and we say it in an arrogance or, or in a positive manner. Can you put that back up, please? But I can't help but look at that in the moment 
if I were in John's shoes and try to put yourself in John's shoes for a moment. And he's saying, wait a minute, I'm expecting something great. First of all, you send your disciples, you don't come yourself. You're not here with me in my struggle, in my pain, in my problem. Think about that. I'm going to stop for a moment right there. Think about in your life how many times that we've been in a situation that has not been favorable and, and we want Jesus to show up. But instead, he sends a neighbor who's saying how much God has blessed them in their life. And you're like, I don't care. You're not helping the matter here. I don't care what God's done for you. I'm only caring right now where I am struggling. See, sometimes God doesn't make sense. So he says, are you the one who is to come? I'm saying it with a little emotion here. I'm saying it so you can feel what I'm trying to communicate. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we be expecting someone else? We see a moment of doubt in John's life right there. In other words, John is saying, look, I've been preparing the way. Maybe I was wrong. Jesus, I've been doing all of this because you haven't come through, but you haven't come through for me. Maybe, Jesus, you aren't the one that I thought you were. But how did Jesus reply? If you look at verses 4 through 6, after this question was said, he goes, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. Yay, thanks. The lame will walk. That's wonderful, but I'm in prison. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. Good job. I kind of paved the way for you. The deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Wow, that's wonderful. Move on. And then he says this. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The disciples come back to John and they're like, look, he told me I got to tell you this. The blind, are see, you know, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the poor are being provided for, and all this wonderful stuff is happening. But, you know, go, go to verse 6 for me. But he follows it up to say, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's almost a slap to John in the face right there. Don't doubt. Blessed is the one who won't doubt. But John is in, in, in a moment here where, where life just sucks. Can I say that? It does. Life is not going the way he wanted it to go. I mean, he's the forerunner. Everything should be lining up. He should have this glorious occasion. I mean, here you go, Lord. I'm going to sit back. And everything's going to be fine because I did what I was supposed to do. But that's not what happened. You see, Jesus sent someone else to tell him of the miracles that were taking place. The story goes on, and it gets kind of weird with Herod. Herod throws a party, okay? 
And during the party, people are getting drunk. It's getting kind of crazy. It's getting kind of wild. And out comes this girl. Now, Herodias. All right, let's go back to her for a moment. Is the mother of the girl. But Herod's not the father. So understand that. So Herodias' daughter comes out. Her name is Salome. And she puts on a dance. In my most pure thoughts, I believe this dance is a ballerina dance. And she's fully clothed and nothing inappropriate is happening. In my most purest thought. But I don't think that's what happened. We'll leave it there. And the king is so drunk that he looks at her and says, I'm going to give you whatever you want. That must have been a dance. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to give you whatever you want. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you know, she's a teenage girl. Let's throw it in today's terms. She wants an iPad or a MacBook or she wants a new iPhone or she wants tickets to a concert. She wants something like this. She pauses for a moment. She goes to mom. If you're married... Women, ladies, don't run to mom for advice all the time. This is a bad moment for him. So he runs to mom and says, what do I do? What do I do? And mom's like, I got it. I'm going to get what I want. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So the girl runs back and she tells him, she goes, you know what? I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Wow. So here you got Herod, who's now in a sticky situation. He has a little level of respect for John. He does. There's somewhat of a level of respect for John. But his wife, on the other hand, has none. And he done gave his word to the girl in front of everybody. And now he's feeling compelled that he must fulfill what he promised. So he says this. He goes on. uh, Verse 26. I, I, I think I got you there. Yes, thank you. The king was greatly distressed. I would like to hope so. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sends out an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, brought him back with his head on a platter. Now, John the Baptist served Jesus faithfully, always saying, I want to be less and I want him to increase. As I said before, he even quoted that I'm, 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 I can't even, I'm not even worthy. I'm unworthy to even, you know, untie his shoes. He is the one. I'm just here to prepare the way. In my mind, this, this does not meet. This story does not end well for John. We all know this. And in the American Christianity, it should be going a whole lot different. There should be a miracle that happens. Something wonderful should have taken place. Do you not think that John in that prison, in that moment, was not praying? Do you not think he did not have family 
who were praying? Do you not think his friends were not praying? Do you not think that disciples themselves most likely were not praying? I do believe they were. It doesn't fit our version of Christianity. You know, I was reminded of something the other day, and I was listening to a minister speak. Uh, he was doing a fabulous job, way better than me. <laughs> and he was speaking, and, and he was talking about the American church and the prayers that we give sometimes. God, you know, I, I need this new position. God, I need you to help me with my finances. God, uh, you know, I, I need you to help me with my relationships. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But he said, you know what, let's put it into perspective of third world countries, those Christians, and what their prayers consist of. How about the Syrian Christians who are being persecuted every day? How about those who have no running water, who have absolutely nothing? See, our version of Christianity is far different from the rest of this world. And we need to be reminded of that. Proverbs 19 and 21 in the Old Testament describes this in a sense in, in, in many ways. He says this, and I want you to understand, this is where we begin to turn the page. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a person's heart. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. Right? Those are our plans. But it's the Lord's pur pur excuse me, purpose that prevails. Now, I want to tell you a story here for a moment. I was uh, 11, I might have 11 or 12 years old. And uh, first, let me give you a little bit of background information about my family. My mom and dad had four children. My brother Wayne was my oldest, which was their oldest, excuse me, 18 years older than me. Then my brother Tim, who lives in West Virginia, uh, he's 16 years older than me. Then my sister Lisa, um, who is, was 12 years older than me, and then I was born. So now you see the problem with me. All right? The baby. Spoiled rotten, and I loved every second of it. Now, I was 11 or 12. I, I can't remember exactly, and I don't have all the details. I, I've, I've, I, I don't think I was exposed to everything that took place, so you have to forgive me. But... Um, my brother Wayne had come down with a brain tumor. And um, they, they did surgery on him, and they were able to remove it. And, and, but it had taken effect to, I don't know how it all happened, but other parts of his body, of, of his body began to become infect, affected by it and, and had a real problem with the kidneys and so on. And he was married, but his wife couldn't take it. And so she kicked him out. And... I remember one day coming home from school, and next thing I knew, my brother was my roommate, okay? And um, so, I, which I, I didn't really understand everything that had, had taken place, but I just knew he was with us. And to me at the time, it was kind of cool because I didn't have a relationship with him. He was much older than me. I knew of him. He showed up on holidays, you know what I mean? But we didn't have that camaraderie or that, that's, that connection. So he came, but he was very sick uh, for about for three years. He was with us. And uh, he was very sick during it. I mean, we were in and out of hospitals. Uh, I mean, 
it was, it was just nothing for my brother to be in the hospital for five to six you know, days in a row, take a couple weeks off, right back in. And I got to the point he was constantly on dialysis. And, and so he had to um, uh, have a kidney transplant. And so they gave him this little pager. And I'll never forget these moments. They gave him this little pager. And whenever it was go off, he had to hurry up and call a phone number to see if the kidney was ready. Because he had to hurry up and get to the hospital by a certain amount of time or the kidney would be bad. We'd be in church, pager would go off. You know, we'd be at ball games, pager would go off. It was always like some signal that would always trigger it off. So it was always like a false hope. You know what I mean? Well, one day it really went off, and, and it went off, and we, mom and dad got him to the hospital, and they did the whole kidney transplant, and everything seemed to be great. During all of this, people are praying. People are praying, God, you know, bring a healing to Wayne. Let's see you move, all right? And so, you know, he went, he had his kidney transplant, and he came home. Everything seemed to be good. Everything seemed to be fine with Wayne. It was probably about a month later things started going downhill quick. I mean, really quick. And uh, ended up, it was a bad kidney. And so he had to, you know, they, they went in, they tried to do everything they could to fix him up. And, you know, you get, the medical system kind of stinks sometimes because you get put back on the list again and you're all the way on the bottom now. So you're waiting for another transplant, all that good stuff. But, um, so time ran out. And the, the, and the kidney was a lot of blood clots, and one moved up into his heart, and he had a heart attack, and he died. And I, I remember, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, up into me preparing for this message, I would always go, why did God ever allow that to happen? I mean, he was a great guy. He took me to my first baseball game, you know. But... told myself I wasn't going to get messed up. But, um, you know, he's always there. And so, you know, you always question, God, where were you at in this? And we don't always understand God's purpose. We only understand our plan. Looking back on that moment, I can relate to it a little bit differently now. Because I can say, you know what? Not that this was the grand scope of things. Because I believe that in every situation... There's multiple wills of God. Understand that. People interact and act differently with different people. God moves differently in, diff in, in different ways of different So I believe in every action there's a reaction, but there's more than just one, if you're following me on that. For me in that moment, it was that I was able to grow close to a man that I may never have grown close to and built that relationship, one that I'll never forget. And sometimes we go through life, and we don't understand the hurts that we go through, why they're there. You see, we don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You see, I see with John the Baptist, and I don't like the outcome, and I told you that from the beginning of the story. But his purpose was far greater than what his plan was. And the outcome. His purpose in life was to be the forerunner of Christ. To prepare the way for him. And he had fulfilled that purpose. See, we, don't, we have a hard time grasping that. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. See, some of you are you're praying for 
someone that could be sick that you love and then they're not getting better. There are those of you that, you know, this year you're going to have some holidays with an empty chair. Those of you who have been experienced holidays with empty chairs. You've been praying and you've been asking for a healing. Some of you have worked hard in, in situations on your job and it seems like you just keep getting passed over and you don't understand why. You're wondering, you know, how am I going to get through this? And I don't understand. We don't have to interpret the goodness of God through our circumstance. Write this down. We interpret our circumstance through the goodness of God. You see, we believe that God is still good. God is always good. Understand, God cannot be anything other than good. We don't understand him sometimes. And sometimes he really does not make sense. But it's not for us to determine what really makes sense. It's us to fulfill his will and plan for our life. See, many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You see, Jesus experienced the same thing. He experienced the pain when he was being crucified. He's on the cross. He said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why? He's in the garden before he's arrested, and he's saying, take this cup from me. Take it, take it. But he follows up. Not my will, but your will be done. It's okay to think sometimes that God doesn't make sense. It's okay. It really is. But you need to understand that his purpose is greater than your plan. Think for a moment of Jesus Christ in that agony, in those moments, if he allowed his plan in the human side of him to come about, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Thank God for God's purpose and not for the fulfillment of our plans. If you would stand with me this morning. There are times, and many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. We never interpret God's goodness through the lens of our circumstance, but we always interpret our circumstance through the lens of God's purpose. This morning, what we're going to do for the next few moments is my challenge to you today is this. Have you been in this situation that I've talked about? Are you there now, maybe? And you're struggling. You're struggling with some things. And you're asking yourself, God, where are you? Stop planning. Do yourself a favor. Stop making the plan. Let's let God's purpose prevail. Let's let God's purpose for God. Someone asked me the other day, they said, Pastor Kevin, what's your vision for our church? I said, we're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to reach the lost. But to be honest with you, 
it's in his hands and I'm gonna go with the flow with what God wants. Because I can make all the plans I want, but my plans are man's plans and they will fail. But I need to follow according to God's purpose. And I'm challenging that in your life. So my question, I don't want nobody to move quite yet, but my question to you right now is this. If that is you, if this message has spoken to you somehow, some way, I'm inviting you to come to this altar. You see, in the Old Testament, I want everybody to listen. In the Old Testament, the altar had a different definition than what we give it today. In the Old Testament, the, the, the place of the altar was where you brought something and it died on that altar. What are the things that you need to die spiritually in your life? What are the things that are preventing God's purpose to prevail in your life? What are the plans that you have set above God in your life that you need to come and lay down this morning in this altar? Today, this altar will represent a symbol of death. Death to what God does not want in you. So I'm challenging you right now. This altar is open. If that is you and you need to lay some things down, come lay them down. Come put them on the altar. This is where they die. This is where new birth happens. This is where encouragement takes place. This is where we say, God, I, I just don't like what was. And I'm just giving it to you right now, God. Just take it. I, I sacrifice it to you as in the Old Testament. Kill this right now, Lord, in my life. I need your purpose to prevail. I don't need my plans. I need your purpose to prevail. I need your purpose to prevail. Right now, begin to pray to him. Because God is moving. And if you're sitting there and, and you wanted to come, but you didn't feel like you could, I'm telling you, it's open right now. This is not a time to be bashful. This is not a time to say, you know what? I, I'm fine. I'll, I'll do it again some other. Now is the time. God's purpose is prevailed. Father God, right now, for every life, for every life, Lord, that has stepped forward right now, God, I just pray over them. God, that they would allow those things to die that is hindering them from your purpose to prevail. God, that they would loose their shackles, Lord, that you would loose those shackles, that you would do the miraculous, Lord. And even, God, when you don't make sense, you make sense because your purpose, Lord, is going to prevail. So God, right now for every life, for every individual right now, God, move, move. God, these are yours. They're your children. They're yours, God. Father God, we love you. God, we praise you in this place. Your spirit, God, is so strong. And you're moving in lives right now, God. Lord, as they lay these things before you, God, and these things die. Lord, that when they leave this place, they can be encouraged knowing, Lord, that your purpose is going to prevail. God, that they're laying their plans down for your purpose. Love We ask you to do whatever you want. This is your people. These are your people. But we love you. 
tell the 